Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Atheist Experience. I am your host, Russell Glasser, and with me today in his uh, first round as uh, official rotating co-host is John Iacoletti. Hi, how you doing? Good to be back. <laughs> That's the Italian way, right? That's the Italian way. Uh, the, uh, Jeff D., uh, who I know is a very popular co-host... Uh, he's decided to take a break from this show for a while, but you can still hear him every other week as the host of the nonprofits, which you all should be listening to also. Uh, and John here, you're going to be seeing uh, a lot more of him. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, today is Sunday, February 23rd, 2014. Uh, we are a live call-in public access atheist television show based in Austin, Texas, dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. We're available through live streaming video at ustream.tv. Uh, the official Atheist Experience website is www.atheist-experience.com. You can provide feedback to us by uh, commenting on the official show blog. That's freethoughtblogs.com slash AXP. You can also email us at tv at atheist-community.org. Uh, if you enjoy the show today, please check out our related uh, podcast, The Nonprofits, which I just mentioned, and Godless Bitches, which I am led to believe is back in action. So uh, check that out with uh, Beth Presswood, Tracy Harris, and uh, Jen Peoples. Uh, the Nonprofits is currently airing on a regular schedule, the first and third Wednesday of every month, and you can listen to us live or you can wait a couple of days for the audio to be uploaded. Uh, as always, the cast and crew of The Atheist Experience will be going to dinner after the show, although uh, we're in flux right now. Today we're not going to Threadgills. We're going to our old haunt of uh, El Arroyo uh, at 1624 West 5th Street. There's the address on the TV machine. Um, and you, uh, I don't know, keep watching the show to see when we're going to be meeting each week because, unfortunately, right now we're, we haven't decided for sure where to stick with. Uh, today is February 23rd, as I mentioned, and uh, this happens to be uh, the National Day of Solidarity for Black Non-Believers, and we at the Atheist Experience would like to express that solidarity. Um, I'm going to read a short description from the, uh, the, from the African Americans for Humanism website. Uh, the percentage of black non-believers in the U.S. is small but increasing. Most have difficulty meeting other black non-believers or finding who are involved in secular organizations. The Internet has made many connections possible. However, the common feelings expressed by black non-believers are those of isolation, loneliness, and alienation. 
often the remedy for these feelings is activism. The Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers, DOS, held annually on the fourth Sunday in February, must be embraced beyond the events that take place in cities across the nation on that day. It must be used to build genuine communal relationships. It must be used to launch a wave of activism among blacks in America and other people of color as we strive to openly embrace our non-theist status in an ethical and dignified manner. Uh, if you'd like to find more about the National Day of Solidarity, um, I believe their main page is on Facebook. So uh, look up Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers there. John, how are you today? I'm doing well. I was watching uh, the video, a, a little bit of the video from the last time I was on, and realized that uh, a whole bunch of the time I'm like all squinty and. <laughs> <laughs> it occurred to me that these bright lights I've been aiming at the rest of you all these years are, are bright. Oh, we've gotten <laughs> used to it. But also, uh, you know, people are going to be critical of you like they're critical of all of us. Uh, and, you know, it gets actually very easy very quickly. So, okay. uh, you know, don't don't be nervous. <laughs> I'll try not to be. But I'll try not to be quite so squinty this time. Right. So bear with me. You'll do great. Thanks. Uh, anything on your mind today? Well, I wanted to just follow up a little bit. The last time I was on, I talked about uh, how I was raised in the Unitarian Universalist Church, and I thought I'd come back and just give a really brief kind of overview of that, because we do get some email from people. Oh, I've, I've heard that a lot of atheists go to UU churches. Uh, what's that all about? Um, so, so Unitarian and Universalism really ar- arose as two... Uh, Excuse me a minute. I have to hang up on Corey in Schenectady. I'm not talking to him. <laughs> Bye, Corey. Uh, you, uh, two Christian heresies. So Unitarianism was was God is one, not three, and that was kind of settled back at the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century. But they, uh, uh, my mom, who went to seminary, used to tell me that they actually fought each other with brick bats. God is one. No, God is three. God is one. God is three. Uh, Goddess Three ended up winning, but Unitarianism kind of persisted um, throughout the centuries into modern times. Universalism, on the other hand, was uh, the idea that n- that nobody goes to hell, that there's universal salvation, um, and that also was was considered a heresy. And Universalism, I'm told, was actually the largest denomination in the United States in the 19th century, and those were the years when. Uh, Ingersoll was was traveling around giving lectures to packed audiences, and uh, their numbers dwindled in the 1900s. And so they followed separate paths. Uh, Unitarianism was real big in the Northeast and Massachusetts in particular. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, so they ended up merging in. <clears throat> excuse me. They ended up merging in 1961. Um, and became the Unitarian Universalist Association. Uh, as far as the church goes, they have no creed, and that's why uh, a lot of atheists end up in UU churches. There's no creed or statement of beliefs. They have instead what they call seven principles and purposes that the congregations agree to affirm and promote, and those are things like uh, we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, for example. Uh, but since there's no creed, <clears throat> you'll find 
you'll find liberal Christians in UU churches. You'll find uh, atheists and humanists. You'll find Buddhists. You'll find uh, earth-centered spirituality like paganism and yeah, um, uh, Wicca. I, I uh, spent a few years of my childhood growing up in Auburn, Alabama, where there was certainly no atheist group. But there, but my parents took me to a universal uh, uh, to a Unitarian church. Uh, and it was a fine substitute. I made a lot of friends there. Yeah, and so that's a, that's an opportunity for community. Um, so it's it's sort of a tolerant amalgam of people with different belief systems, um, and and it's very much a church in the sense of having regular church services. And you know, I think so. If you ask why would an atheist might want to go to a, a UU church. Um, some people just want the church experience. They want to sing hymns and they want to get together and they want to drink coffee afterwards and socialize and they want to hear some kind of inspiring message, which could be a sermon or it could sort of be a lecture. It's, you know, it really depends on the church and the day. Um, for example, I used to sing in the choir and I enjoyed that a lot. And when ACA gets a choir, I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to preach to them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, sometimes you, uh, spouses might have, you know, you might have a uh, an atheist uh, married to a a uh, Christian or a, a Jew or somebody who's different belief systems or a Christian and a Jew or, you know, any combination of the above. Uh, a lot of spouses who differ in their... Um, Religious beliefs might end up at a UU church because they they, you know, they want to find a place they can go together without having to kind of uh, pretend they're somebody they're not. Uh, one big reason is religious education for children. They have a good religious education program. Uh, a lot of people want their kids to learn about other religions in kind of a non-biased fashion to sort of inoculate them against society because we we live in a a uh, religious society and it it helps to kind of be religiously literate uh so you know the old joke goes what do you call an atheist with children a unitarian universalist <laughs> and you know but as i not mentioned not necessarily true not necessarily true same as the atheist in foxholes can art <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but yeah <laughs> um I think it was more so in the 50s and 60s. There were uh, there were a, a lot of atheists in UU churches, and they've they've kind of diversified since then. Uh, and then I wanted to, and then the last reason I want to plug because I I was an owl teacher for 10 years when I uh, was a UU, and uh, owl is a comprehensive sexuality education program that <clears throat> that the Unitarian Universalist Church does. Uh, which they developed in cooperation with the United Church of Christ, which is another very, it's a very liberal Christian denomination. Uh, and that's really a top-notch program, especially if you live in a, in the South or in a place where, uh, the sex education in the, <coughs> sorry, where the sex education in the schools are, is kind of fear and shame based. Mm-hmm. Um, or non-existent, and they have a really good program. And so, even if you don't want to go to the church, you might want 
uh, your kids to be involved with that. Sure. So, um, so that's kind of a very brief overview, but that's kind of and and that's mostly off the top of my head. So, if, you know, if if I missed something, feel free to to write in and correct us. All right. Thanks, John. So, thanks. Uh, ready to go to some callers. We've got uh, Ron in San Diego. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. And you? Pretty good. Hi, Ron. Yeah, I have a couple of atheist friends. Uh-huh. And I'm noticing a contradiction. Like, they say that I have a friend, he says he's willing to stick to the truth as far as the belief in God. Like, he would, no matter what a Christian says, he would say that God is not real, right? Re- regardless of how the Christian feels. Right, sure. But if a transsexual feels, I mean, if a transgender male feels like he's a he's a woman, my atheist friend would embrace that. And so, on one hand, he's embracing uh, a delusion that this man is really a woman, and and he says it's the way the the transgender feels. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with evidence. It's the way the transgender feels. But when it comes to Christians, as far as the way they feel, they don't want to um, embrace it. And I don't understand that if they're all about reality, why when it comes to transgenders and gay people, it's all about the way they feel and they embrace the way they feel regardless of evidence? Well, um, first of all, Ron, uh when you say that the Christian God exists, that, that's a very specific claim about the nature of reality, right? Like, if I said that I could jump up in the air and fly around like Superman, you would be skeptical of that, I assume. Yes. Do you agree that, you know, the existence, of, that God existing or not existing is a very, um, is a very precise claim about reality? Yeah, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an atheist, by the way. Oh, you are. I'm an, I'm, I'm an atheist, so I know what you're saying. But if a man is clearly a man, and there is no evidence that the man is a woman other than the way he feels, then that's pretty clear, also. Well, the idea. I mean, of, I mean and yeah, also, dude, it, 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 it hey, face, you can okay. See the man. First of all, you're not Charlie Checkham, are you? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Okay. So I'm going to monologue about this because Charlie Checkham is not, in general, welcome on the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the thing about gender identity is that the concept of gender identity is actually a very fluid idea to begin with. I mean, yeah, there, there is the specific issue of sex where, you know, as uh, a kid told Arnold Schwarzenegger, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Um, but the, Identification that uh, that people choose to go with in society, like the idea that uh, uh, that boys wear pants and girls wear dresses, that boys like blue and girls like pink, um, there's a big distinction that's made often between uh, sex and gender, where uh, where sex is intended to to mean uh, the biological state of, let's say, having. Uh, two X chromosomes or or an XY chromosome, uh, but the thing about gender identity is that uh, it is uh, I, I mean it is essentially uh, a social imposition. Uh, and the thing about being friends with people 
and and getting along with your fellow human beings. Uh, assuming that you have any friends, which is not an assumption that I make about a guy like Charlie Checkham. But the ability to get along with people in general uh, means that to a certain extent you accept the kinds of things that they identify as important about themselves. Like, for instance, uh, pretty recently I received an email asking, like, can you prove your name is John, for instance? <laughs> um, my point to someone asking a Christian like that is that your name is, to begin with, a fairly arbitrary uh, 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 social construct. Uh, my sister, who used to be on the show a long time ago, was born spell with the birth certificate that says K-A-R-E-N. Her name is Karen. She decided at a certain point in her life that she wanted to spell her name K-E-R-Y-N. She had her name legally changed, and everybody spells it that way. Uh, it was her decision to make. Similarly, if a person who happens to have a penis... Uh, feels like uh, uh, he would like to uh, to wear dresses and be referred to as her. There is no major cost, and there is no like scientific fact that would prevent this kind of of social convention from being used instead of the assumptions that people generally make based on your biology. John, have you got anything to add to that? No, that was well stated. Okay. Um, and, th- and there's even more nuance uh, with that, too. There's sex and there's gender identity and there's sex roles. And, it, you know, it's a lot more complicated than <clears throat> you have an XY, you're a, you're a boy, and you're deluded. I mean, which is what Charlie, what did he call himself, yeah, Ron? Char- Charlie Checkham, also. Um, Evolved atheist. Yeah. The guy who's been kicked out of just about every uh, atheist forum in existence because he's really annoying and stupid. Yeah, <laughs> and he's real homophobic and yep. um, doesn't represent most atheists. Sorry to sit here and talk about him off air, but he has called over and over again, and we're not really going to sit through another conversation with him. <clears throat> well, I don't, you know, don't call under a fake name and try to get past the call screener. But yeah, it's not a delusion. It's it's the, the the transgender woman is a woman, and she may be biologically male, but she's a, a woman. And I wouldn't call that a a delusion. And like Rush, like you were pointing out, um, you know, we're not basing laws on the fact that somebody's uh, gender identity is is male or female or what it is. We're not, uh, you know passing laws that interfere with other people's freedoms. Right. And there are a lot of things that people kind of assume have objective reality, uh, but turn out not to when you examine them closer. Like, for instance, uh, my friend Guy P. Harrison has written a book on race in which he argues that the concept of there being... specific races is generally a myth and if you look deeply into it like like for instance a lot of supposed black people have much uh close i mean i mean sorry i don't <laughs> i feel like i'm not saying this right but uh you know a lot of people who identify with one specific race or another are actually more closely related to someone to a race that they wouldn't identify with but ultimately we're all part of the same species 
uh, and race very much is uh, uh, or should be uh, like irrelevant and is in a lot of cases socially imposed as well. Yeah. Anyway, so we've beaten that horse to death. Uh, Susan in Chicago. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, I wanted to talk about how um, y'all bring up extraordinary claims and how they require extraordinary evidence all the time. And I just personally feel that you know that statement often said in the show is just a cop out. It's really just a personal opinion, I think. And what gives y'all the right to require such things when people bring up these uh, you know claims? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because did you know I rose from the dead one time? See, you're just doing that to, to make fun and stuff like Wait that. Wait a minute. You, so, you know you're not actually serious. Well, why don't you believe me? Because I know that you're doing that just to try to prove a point. You know How do you, you know? You're actually... Because that's the whole reason why you said that. Well, so if I said I had dinner at a restaurant last night... Would you believe that? Well, of course, that's just normal conversation, so of course So what's the difference between that and me saying I rose from the dead? Well, that is specifically something that is, you know, defining a religion, and these other things we're saying just to bring up for an argument. We're not actually saying that this is the basis for a, you know, a large religion. like. Well, uh, why you know. does that have to be about religion? Can't I just say that I rose from the dead? I mean, can't you just accept that at face value? Well, I'm not using that, you know, to define and, you know, represent, you know, millions of people out there. Neither am I. I'm just saying I rose from the dead. That's just a silly argument. I mean, I understand. I agree with you. I'm just trying to get at why it's a silly argument. Well, I understand that that statement was originally said by Carl Sagan, but who really cares about, you know, them requiring extraordinary claims and evidence? So then you should believe I rose from the dead. (laughs) Okay. I terrified her with my awesome logic. Uh, Apparently. I don't know if that was a prank or not, but I'm pretty sure it was. But you know, the the, the point is, is that things that don't happen every day are extraordinary claims, and if you want to believe that, that's fine. But if you want other people to take your word for it that it actually happened, um, you're going to have to come up with something more. Right. If you were serious, and I mean, while that caller was probably not serious, she was probably asking question. Uh, that would be seriously posed by a lot of Christians. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if it would be put in exactly that way. Uh, Harsha in New York. Hey, guys. Um, so I, I have a couple of points to make, but before I do that, I just want to touch on the transsexual thing and about trolls because I've been listening to this. So about the, uh, not trans, transgender, I think it's a more appropriate term. Right. So the, is, um, the medical community supports them, right? You have the American Psychiatric Association, okay. the Medical Association. So we have people who are experts in psychiatry and psychology and neuroscience supporting the rights of the transgender community as well as the gay community and um, uh, and um and the rest of the LGBT. So my point is just simply is that it's not the same thing because you don't, like, this is different from a belief in God, you know. Just, uh, just a quick addendum, like, just to add on to your point. Uh, okay, thanks. Thing, oh, was, yeah, good sorry? point. Yeah. 
So there's a second thing about trolls. Just to address, like, if any, like, troll, so I'm an atheist, I'm not a troll, but if there is any troll that's listening, I just think it's interesting that you had to come up with, the, the best you can do is come up with fake arguments, then you're not convincing anybody, right? Like, it's, it, you, you, the point is to convince people, and you're not doing that if you're just uh, messing around, you know? There are now, people, I mean, the people who call us and act like idiots are not trying to convince people of anything. Right. They are just excited to hear themselves uh, talking on TV because right. they have so little interest in going on in their life that they have to resort to that. Right. I'm just, because I'm, I have a YouTube channel and I get tons of trolls and stuff. But oh, my, yeah. <laughs> my thing is that when I talk to trolls, I'm like, hey, you're welcome to do this, but just know that you're wasting your time. You're not convincing anybody, and I am, because I have a, a serious argument. You know, and you don't. So, so you can waste your time as much as you like. But in any case, um, the reason I called them, so there's a couple of arguments. I never really heard that, mu- that much uh, by atheists, so I just wanted to talk about them. So one of them is that um, there's an inherent contradiction, I think, between um, uh, when, when, uh, a, when a, a, a Christian, a fundamentalist Christian, says that uh, the morality that we get is absolutist morality, is from God, right? It, or, it originates with God and absolutely moral, right? And there's a contradiction with that and the justification they have for slavery and rape in the Bible, right? Like, so you can't have both, right? You can believe in one or the other, but I, but I never like seen an art where they're addressing both at the same time, right? Because Uh-oh. if 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 uh, if God is absolutely first, they do not lie, and obviously lying is art, right? If he can say something absolute about something like lying, then why can't he do that about slavery? Why can't he do that about race Bible? Why is context important when you're talking about race and you're talking about slavery, but context is not important when you're talking about lying, you know? So I just would love to see a fundamental Christian address that argument. And I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Uh, you want to <laughs> say um, something about Yeah, that? good point. Um, right. I don't, you know, I don't really look at the Bible and see absolute morality in there. I think, you know, people will say that, but right. it's all over the place. And people really don't follow the, the rules in the Bible, uh, right. all, all of them, unless they it's Absolutely. something they want to do anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that generally you'll find that Christians are coming from the starting point that, uh, you know, one of their axiomatic principles is that the Bible has to be absolutely correct about everything. Right. And then... You know, they work from there. So, so when, when somebody calls and we say, like, you know, justify why I should believe that the stuff in the Bible is true, a lot of times that gets very confused replies because that's not the kind of thing that they think you need to justify. Right. And because they believe that stuff, you know, it, it gives them an incentive to look for a whole bunch of excuses about how, um, you know, the slavery that's described in the Bible is very uh, different from, let's say, why, you know, southern slavery a hundred years ago. And they'll go into all these justifications about how great it was that, that uh, you know, the ancient Jews treated their slaves very nicely. Right. Um, and, and dismiss parts of the Bible as just metaphorical and stuff like that. Anything that they can use... Um, because if you're starting from the position that the Bible is always right, <laughs> uh, right, 
you're not going to reason toward the stuff in the Bible. You're going to take the Bible as a starting point and reason around it, let's say. Right. Right, exactly. Um, you're right. Um, another thing I want to address was, um, you guys ever hear about the prophecy of Tyre? I just never hear any, like, uh, atheists talking about this, but I think it's, like, the best thing in the world. Uh, what? You guys know what I'm talking about? Ezekiel 21? Yeah, something about Tyre would not, uh, would not last... Uh, yeah, it would, it would be burned to the ground or something like be, that. Yeah, right, right. It's like Nebuchadnezzar would come in and it would burn tired to the ground and it would never be rebuilt and they would like have like fishing nets and stuff on there. And like I love this because obviously it didn't come true because you can, you can look at Tyre and like satellite images existing right now. So even if it was destroyed, it was rebuilt, you know, and the excuses they have for it is hilarious. Like, um, like I was reading this one apologetic website and they were saying how, um, oh, um, the old tire wasn't rebuilt, a new tire was rebuilt, so that's property fulfilled. And I just thought that was hilarious. I don't yeah, know. You, do, you don't have to go back that far. I mean, you know, just look at 2011 when Harold Camping was predicting the end of the world, and then right. the world didn't literally end, but it was like, well, it was a spiritual end. Yeah. Of right, 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 right. <laughs> There's there's always an excuse if you if right. you want to say it's infallible they're they're gonna find a way to try to make it infallible, right? And uh, yeah, or you yeah. know the thing about Jesus saying that the the people listening to me will you know uh, I'm not gonna get the quote right, but I will return within the the lifetimes of the people <laughs> here today, right, right, right. And they and he has it. yeah, and they explain that as being spiritual lifetimes or or, or lifetime some of, of them the, act. Some of them say, well, there's this really old guy who's still around <laughs> who's not dead yet. I never heard this. Uh, no, I've, I've heard that that's a thing that they say sometimes as excuses. Uh, it's, I love prophecy and uh, and how they like, twist themselves in the pretzels, like uh, explaining it. And this happens in Hinduism, too. I, I'm a former Hindu. It happens all the time in all religions, and it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, all right. I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that stuff. And uh, it's a great show. I'll just keep looking. All right. Thanks, Harsha. Appreciate yep. it. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Justin in New Haven, Connecticut. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Fine. Um, yeah, I'm good. Um, I, had, uh, I was calling about um, the anti-theist position. Okay. The belief that there I'm is sorry, no God... Yeah, the belief that there is no God. That okay. assertion. Um, first, I want to make a qualification and say that I do like the atheist position. I like the intellectual consistency of saying, you know, there's not enough evidence to support the claim that a God does in fact exist. But I also feel like if we do take the burden of proof on our shoulders, not saying that you have to, but if we do take it on our shoulders, I do believe that there is enough logical reasoning and proof out there to provide us with the amount of proof to uh, represent that position. Okay. And um, one of the things I wanted to say was I, w- I was watching Eric Hovind, and one of the things he, he does right away when he sees somebody in order to play his little word game, he says, do you think that it is in fact impossible for the God of the Bible to exist? And then right. the uh, atheist, because of his intellectual consistency, says, well, anything's possible, but it's unlikely. I think you can answer that question, yes, through any um, definition of the word impossible that we can really think of. Because, first of all, in order for something to exist, it must 
exists within space and time. And the uh, God of the Bible necessarily right exists outside of space Stop right there. Stop right there. Okay. How do you know? Okay. How do I know? Because the word existence consists of the things in existence. The universe is the only thing that we can conceive of that exists. That's the only thing where... Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's the only thing we're aware of that exists. How do you know there's not a different universe? Well, a different universe would still be a different space and time, and it still would be a space and time. And if a deity or a being of of a different universe created us, it's not a god by any Okay, I'm sorry, but what you're saying right now is not justified by current scientific understanding. I mean... Okay. We, we know <clears throat> we know what happened back to the Planck time in the universe, but uh, yeah. prior to a certain period of time, the laws of physics are so basically different uh, in in that singularity that there is no knowing the nature of the stuff that came before it. Um, yeah, no, no, I understand that. I understand that. Yeah, there's um, no knowing. The, the for instance, okay. let let's say for the sake of argument that uh, that the All matrix right. is true, and yeah. that there's this grand programmer who made this perfect world simulation in a universe which isn't ours and is perfectly simulating the universe. That's but that wouldn't be God. That would just be another being. Well, I mean, it depends on how far you're willing to stretch the definition of God. Yeah, I'm going with the God of the Bible because that's pretty much the question that's asked. I guess you could come up with some deistic uh, being that was the creator if you want to, but okay. But I mean, when you go so when you go so far as to say the only thing that can exist has has to exist in space and time, I think you're making an absolute assertion that I'm not even sure I, as an atheist, should accept. Well, well, uh, what I'm saying is in some space and time. Because without space, okay. how do you, you can't know be that? A g- and without time, you don't exist for any amount of time. All right. I hate that you're making me argue the Christian position. By the way, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I've got to. <laughs> um, okay, go ahead. How do you know that God doesn't just exist in some other space and time? Is that totally inconsistent with the Bible? Yes. Why? That is. That is inconsistent because the Bible God is omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipresent, maybe and he's, eternal. Maybe he's just all those and, things with respect to this universe. Well, if that's the case, then that's—I I guess. I guess you're really stretching <coughs> the Bible there. I don't think I that's guess what I any uh, person in the God Sorry. of the Bible thinks. <coughs> Sorry about that. Well, I understand you're just doing a, an exercise here, and. I kind of, but but I don't. I mean, you know, there, I take the atheist position and the agnostic atheist position specifically for a reason, which is that I I do not like to say I'm certain about stuff that uh, that is not justified. Now, I do think that the lack of evidence for God is so complete <laughs> that. Within my current understanding of of knowledge, I'm as confident to dismiss the God of the Bible as I would be to dismiss that, like, Darth Vader is out there somewhere. Maybe more. Yeah. So I'm with you there, but... But but I think when so a guy like Eric Hoven says, can you be absolute 100% infallibly certain that there is no God... I think no is the only honest answer. 
I, I also agree with that in a certain sense because um, that, that's, I guess, in the exact word of impossible, I guess so. But what I'm trying to say is these guys play with words so much, and then they'll say, well, just the same thing they do with the word theory. Right. And, and you've you got to call them out on that. What we should think of as impossible. Yeah, and you got to call them out on that. You got to draw attention to the fact that they're not really saying anything meaningful. And I'm totally with nailing Eric Hovind on, uh, you know, on his gibberish way of bouncing around and trying uh, and trying to believe that he scored points on something that is actually saying nothing at all. So I'm with you there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah he uses the, he, he plays with the word no. And knowledge, right? If you want to do it, that to say impossible means that logically and reasonably it can't happen. Okay. Well, but what he's right. what he's doing there is he's trying to shift the burden of proof. And once he gets you to admit that, then he's then he puts you on the defensive, saying, "Well, how do you know that? How can you prove that?" Uh, and then it's also a misunderstanding of atheists because. Once he admits that you can't be certain, then he says, well, then you can't be an atheist because everyone knows atheist means that you're sure there is no God. So, um, okay. so that's why, you know, it's a uh, basic... Damn, I, thought, I thought I had one on this one. <laughs> well, and you might, but, the, <laughs> um, you know, using that in, in kind of an argument or a debate situation, then, then you have to start proving your, your claim and, and well, supporting honestly, it. Honestly, yeah. I wanted to, um, I've done the position that you're holding pretty much every time I talk to anybody. This was kind of new for me, but I thought, I thought I had it and I didn't. So. Well, and I'm not. Thank you for setting me straight. Well, and I'm not saying you don't have it, but it definitely, uh, changes the dynamic for sure because he still needs to, to demonstrate that the God he believes in, uh, is real. And he, uh, yeah. you know, he hasn't met that burden of proof. So by kind of distracting you from that subject, um, you know, it kind of it, it kind of throws it off the rails, I would say. Yeah, I think my anger at how they uh, play with words so much just makes me want to uh, just shut it down. But I think you're right about what you're saying. It probably would just be twisted around back on me. Right. See, the trap uh, the trap that I would avoid falling into is that a lot of times atheists come at these uh, at these weirdly philosophical arguments thinking, well, that's dumb, and I can just show everybody that that's dumb and dismiss it. And the problem is they wind up saying things like making assertions that most secular philosophers even would warn them to stay the hell away from. Uh, and there, there is a bit of a responsibility if you want to start going up against guys, guys like Eric Hovind or even Ken Ham, who I thought was... A, a miserable well, I failure. Know, I, where, uh, I would never have a chance to go up against them. I would never meet them or anything. Right, right. But, but I mean, you know, it's not always just as easy as as saying, "Well, yeah, I do know that," because you wind up, you can wind up getting wound up in a bunch of logical stuff that doesn't make sense from your end. So I'd be playing right into their hands. In a way, yeah. I, I mean, you know, that's All part right. of that's part of what presuppositional apologi- uh, apologetics is trying to get you into. And by the way, if I could just make a small plug, um, uh-huh. uh, three weeks ago, uh, 
that we had uh, uh, the second online conference for Freethought Blogs, FTBCon 2, uh, and I did a panel with uh, Justin Schieber, who is on uh, uh, Reasonable Doubts podcast and is a pretty heavy-duty philosopher himself, uh, and also uh, Dan Linford, who's also a philosophy student. And we talked uh, presuppositional apologetics to death there. Uh, so if you look up oh, FTB... Oh, i like to hear that. Yeah, um, if you look up FTBCon 2, there's, there's a big schedule where you can find the video somewhere. And if you can't, just shoot an email to tv at atheistcommunity.org, and I'll send you the link. Okay. Hey, hey thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I really like your show. You guys are great. Um, you already know that, so I'll see you later. I'll see you later. I mean, okay. Thanks. thanks for calling, Justin. Thanks. Appreciate it, Justin. All right. Thanks. Bye. Uh, Osiris in Chicago. Uh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. How you doing? Hi. Hi. I'm all right. Um, kind of a little nervous here. First time caller. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for the show. It's you've been very helpful to me. Glad, glad to hear it. Um, but I, there was a there was a an author that very instrumental in me becoming an, an atheist. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, you got Russell and I think uh, Matt. They kind of like dismissed this author as like a hack. Okay. And. and uh, they said that her work wasn't scholarly. Okay. And so right. what I wanted to know was, um, well, I have several questions, but the first question is, how do I determine what is scholarly? Well, who's the author? Acharya S. Okay. Um, being scholarly is more than so, sort of an assertion of authority from from some person. Uh, if you wanted to find out what the current state of physics was, uh, one of the first things that you'd need to do would be to figure out what are the mainstream peer-reviewed journals of physics uh, and figure out what the general consensus view is. Um, so, uh, most of, in general, you'll find that most of the major discoveries in science are, are presented through, uh, scholarly journals like this, where not only do people publish their ideas about what's new, like for instance, Einstein published, uh, you know, his ideas about quantum mechanics and relativity in some very famous papers in German journals. Um, but also once they get into these journals, uh, a whole lot of other scholars who are well-established in the field will peer-review it, which means that they will look for flaws and inconsistencies and rip into this stuff uh, and, and say, oh, look here, this guy is saying he has a perpetual motion machine, and uh, you know, there, there's a major problem with that. Uh, the history is not a hard science like physics is, and so it's more difficult to come up with testing for historical claims. But there are still uh, historical standards and, uh, and peer-reviewed history journals and, uh, and professional consensus on uh, the kind of thing that happens. I'm not a historian, <laughs> um, and I cannot make my own personal claim about whether Acharya S. Uh, is a credible scholar. 
But I do know that everything I've read from mainstream historians say that Acharya S., who is uh, claiming that it's provably true that Jesus is a mythical figure who never existed and is cobbled together from older myths like uh, uh, Mithras and I think Ra is in there. I forget. Um, Yeah. a lot of this stuff is made up or extrapolated from stuff she read that she didn't really understand. Uh, <laughs> I am not in a good position to make my own judgment about her, but I do not, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not aware that Acharya S. has even an actual history PhD. Does that matter? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> If she had a history PhD, it would say something about her ability to go through mainstream channels and fight for this stuff within the context of what people already understand in general about history. Um, I'm not ruling out the idea that a person without a PhD in physics could discover and invent something amazing that would turn things on its head. I'm just saying that it generally doesn't work that way. And if you find that most of the mainstream scholars uh, in uh, in a particular field uh, disagree with or dismiss a particular source, it doesn't mean that it's definitely not true, but you might be better off uh, reading that primary material and hearing what they've got to say about her instead of just calling up some layman on, on a TV show. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Um, okay. Um, well, I'm excited about uh, Richard Carrier's book supposed to be coming out. Yeah, I mean, uh, Richard Carrier, I think, is generally a well-regarded scholar. Uh, but I I don't know. I think he is sometimes controversial. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely take him over Acharya S. Okay. Uh, I have a, have a couple more questions. Okay. Um, what I don't understand is that, you know, there's like uh, a lot of forgeries and uh, uh, interpolations uh, uh, in the Bible, and and it seems like when, when you guys go up against uh, these Christians, that you guys don't don't really go in on them about that. Uh, can you give an example? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like, uh, that, uh, like, most, uh, well, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that most of um, uh, Paul's writings are forgeries. Uh, sorry, what was the question? Most of Paul's writings were forgeries. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really know anything about that. I mean, I don't even think you have to go as far as to say that Paul's writings were forgeries. Uh, the guy never met Jesus except allegedly as a ghost. I mean, even by his right. own accounts. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't care whether uh, whether a guy named Paul wrote what Paul said or whether some other guy <laughs> wrote what Paul said. Uh, either mm-hmm. way, it's not a particularly reliable way to find out what really happened when you got this guy going around saying, oh, I was blinded, and then I talked to Ghost Jesus, and, and uh, he turned, he set me straight. Um, to okay. me, this just, you know, even if you take the story at face value, it just smacks of a guy 
who is sort of piggybacking on a popular religion to get attention. Uh, and okay. and he was incredibly successful about that. He introduced a whole bunch of new rules and, and standards that were in no way conveyed in the first four Gospels. Okay. Well, what about, what about I heard that uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, no, no, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew, John, and Luke are all copies of Mark. Uh, I don't think they're all copies of Mark, but uh, I would recommend that you read uh, um, Who Wrote the New Testament by someone whose name escapes me, but you'll find it on Amazon. Yeah, Do you know? I, I don't recall off the top of my head. My, my, my really limited understanding is that they weren't copied, but they kind of had the same uh, primary, primary source. source. Right. And so there's a lot of similarities, uh, but, but it wasn't one to the other. Okay. Oh, okay. I yeah, I think we're going to have to move on to another caller. But uh, thanks for your questions, and uh, you know, do I? I recommend that you do some background reading on Acharya S. Because I find that I learn the most when I step outside my assumptions and go looking for sources on the internet, specifically for people who disagree with the position I want to take as, as an assumption. Anyway, good luck. Oh, all right. And really just look at all the sources that you could find if that's your area of interest is look, look to see what she says and compare that with what other uh, historians and theologians say. And uh, really all you can go for is consensus. Um, right. Is, is kind of a broad consensus as you can. Anyway, um, thanks for calling. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Osiris. Uh, Evelyn in Louisville. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm fine. Um, I'm, I just recently abandoned the Christian faith. And Did you know there's uh, a very active Louisville uh, Freethinkers group? I'm sorry, what? Did you know that there's a very active Louisville Freethinkers group? No, but I need, I need that information. You should check them out. Uh, they're on Facebook. I believe they're uh, Louisville Freethinkers or something obvious like that. Okay. Um, well, I just wanted to ask if you guys have ever dealt with full preterist. With what? Full preterist. Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that. No idea. Okay, I've kind of evolved in my in my thinking and my growth and everything. And full preterism was the last stance that I had before atheism. And it's where um, they believe that. The end times occurred within the first century. Okay. Uh, what does that mean? Because I don't remember everybody dying in a <laughs> in a fireball at that point. So what what do they mean well, by end times? They believe that, and and this is part of uh, something that still kind of gets me. But they believe that a lot of it is a metaphoric apocalyptic language. Okay. And um, the thing that bothers me the most, uh, the reason that I came away from the Christian faith is because it goes completely, the God of the Bible goes completely against my own moral standard. Absolutely. Um, I think that's, <laughs> that's true of any thinking person. <laughs> at, at the same time, I am kind of perplexed by um, Christ prophesying that the stones would be, would 
off from the temple and that it occurred within that generation. What? What do you have this specific prophecy on hand? Um, it's in Matthew twenty four. Okay. What does it say? It says not one stone will be left upon another. Well that's pretty vague. I mean, you know, that could happen at any time. Well, further I mean, down in the context, it talks about it would be that generation. Okay. So? so I, I mean, the, the thing is, is I just wanted to know if you guys have ever talked or kind of debated with the full preterist. Because <laughs> even though I think it's all a bunch of crap, to be honest with you, um, I still think that if the majority of Christians held that position they would have a little bit more validity. I doubt it. I mean, you know, I haven't really read very much about what you're saying, but um, I can tell you that uh, a lot of Christians will, uh, you know, go very far to count the hits and ignore the misses. Uh, you know, if if something happened within, you know, within less than a century, they will claim to be amazed by that and say, what an amazing prophecy. But then there are, there are other Christians who will take other parts of the Bible and claim to be equally amazed at something that happened 1,500 years later and vaguely sounds the same as something Jesus said back then. And if they find something that Jesus said that hasn't happened yet, they'll just say, uh, well, you know, that's still to come true. So I don't put that much stock in when they managed to cherry pick one individual thing they said that sounds a lot like something that that happened some unspecified amount of time later. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I can well, I say... Think they have, I'm sorry. Every year there are so-called psychics who make hundreds of predictions about what's going to happen in the coming year. Some of them come true just by virtue of the fact that nobody is ever really 100% wrong in making stuff up. Yeah, and really within my thought, even though, even if it does have a little bit more validity in in my view, I still see that there still could be um, an explanation for it uh, because there could be a possible, um, a, a possible, Possibly that they wanted to start controversy and civil war within the within the groups. But well, anyways, that's a whole that's okay. that's that's going way beyond what you guys probably have time to talk about and everything. Yeah, I, I think that you shouldn't necessarily feel like you have to find an explanation for the fact that somebody said something and it happened later. I I mean, you know, a lot of times that is just well, that was a lucky guess. It doesn't always need a much deeper explanation than that. Well, and as far as the, the preterist goes, I'm, I'm not real familiar with that, but it does sound a lot like what Russell was talking about earlier about Harold Camping saying, well, the world did come to an end. It was just a spiritual ending. Uh, you know, the end times occurred in the first century, but apparently we didn't notice. Or So it's it, to me it sounds a lot like, well, we have to come up with some way of explaining this contradiction, so... Um, yeah, they have the view that it's a covenantal end. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, we're almost out of time. 
So, okay. uh, but uh, do check out uh, Louisville Atheists and Freethinkers at louisvilleatheists.com. Okay, thank you. All right, see you. Thanks, ya. Evelyn. And say hi to Ed Hensley for me. Um, let's see. Sorry, we are almost out of time. We got Walt here in Austin. Wait a minute. Hello, how, how no, we don't. <laughs> well, that was fast. Uh, Andrea <laughs> in Illinois. Hello. Hello. Hi, Andrea. Andrea. Hi, how are you guys doing? Yeah, we're almost out of time. I'm really sorry for saving you to the last minute, but... Uh... Uh, well, I called in at the last minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, what's I up? Just, I just think that it's uh, really weird how people can be delusioned into thinking that God is real and that everything in the Bible is weird, real. Uh, and I think that they just have a hard time accepting that they've been lied to, that they really don't honestly believe it. They just don't want to believe that they've been lied to their entire lives and that so many people believed it. That might be part of it, but I think pe people do sincerely believe. And um, it's sort of like uh, Ray Comfort saying, well, you, you atheists really do believe in God. You just won't admit it. Um, I guess I'm not prepared to say you really don't believe in God. You're just, you, you're just uh, afraid to be considered stupid. I, I think it's... Uh, I wouldn't go that far, I guess. I, well, I, not... Maybe not all of them, but I think a lot of them just don't want to admit that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that's certainly possible because you, you know you get imbued with religion at a really young age before uh, your reasoning powers kick in, and and that can be a pretty strong emotional. Yeah, cause I can remember you... being six years old and having questions about religion. Those are always baffled me. Yeah, I think. Well, so, I just think a lot of people don't want to accept the facts, and they get confused with, uh, like, theories and saying, oh, well, evolution is just a theory. They're just confused because, like, the Big Bang is just a theory yeah. and hasn't been proven. Well, uh, we are out of time now. Uh, thanks for your call, though. Uh, maybe, maybe you can call back in uh, again, next so time, yeah, yeah, when we have a little yes, bit more time. I will definitely try to call back next time. All right, so I would love to chat with you guys. All right, thanks, Andrew. And that's our show. Thank you very much, John, for being here. Thanks, Russell. Thank Appreciate you to it. our crew. We'll see you at uh, El Arroyo, not Threadgills, on Fifth Street. Bye.